Welcome to the one-on-one with one and only sports podcast. I'm your host, Theo Wan. Every person has a story to tell, and this podcast hopes to give an opportunity for those in the sport world to share their unique story. Each week, I interview a new guest to come on the show, and we talk about how they got to where they are in the sport world, what their daily life looks like, some misconceptions people have about their role, and we end with a fun rapid-fire segment to close the episode. If that sounds like something for you, please don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with others. New episodes come out every Tuesday. This episode is brought to you by Haddock Sport Performance. Is your training making you better on the field? Haddock Sport Performance provides a complete strength and conditioning experience. With over five years of experience at the elite international level and a global group of athletes, they have come to appreciate that training is a partnership. And with HSP, their goal is to provide each athlete with a truly personal and unique training experience. They work tirelessly with you to get to know you as a person and athlete, and together build a plan for you to be your best in competition. Now with all that done, let's go. Welcome to episode 10 of the podcast. Today's guest is Othniel Spence. Othniel was a captain for the Simon Fraser University basketball team, which competes in the Great Northwest Athletic Conference in NCAA Division II basketball. He led the team in points per game and was 10th in the conference. He was a 2019-2020 All-Conference Honorable Mention and finished his career with over 1,000 points scored. He majored in sociology and was highly recruited from the well-known Bill Crothers Secondary School in Markham, Ontario. Here is my interview with Othniel Spence. Othniel, thank you for joining us today on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm all right. Thanks for uh, coming on. I know you're out in uh, sunny Vancouver right now. So before we even get started, how would you compare? You're an Ontario boy out of Markham. How would you compare living in Ontario and Markham to Vancouver? What's the big difference? I guess the speed. Speed of the city is like really slow over here. Like People are very relaxed comparably to Markham. Markham's always busy, similar to Toronto. Um, there's always a lot of people, but... With the the city here in uh, Burnaby, BC, it's very like just clean, not a lot of people, and there's a lot of a lot of forest land over here, and so hikes and trails are things that people do a lot over here, and that I've been actually a part of. It's honestly been an enjoyable time over here in uh, Burnaby. That's sweet, and I know you just finished up, as I mentioned in the intro there. So, Othniel, can you tell the audience how you got to where you are? You started and now have played your time with SFU, the only NCAA school in Canada. So, how was that time? And maybe talk about some people that were instrumental in your journey, some events that led you there. My time at SFU was a it was a it was experience. It was a pretty cool experience with learning a lot of lessons. We were learning a lot of lessons for me um, as. A basketball player, as a student, as as a spiritual advisor, and at, at at athletes in action, and just being a part of a culture, a changing culture at SFU. I remember uh, my high school coach was asking me um, where I wanted to go, and he was really pushing for me to go to SFU for the reason that he was saying, you know, you can go to other schools where you know that you're a part of something that's you know, mediocre or something that's, that's, that's decent, that's good. Or you can change a culture at SFU because before I was at SFU, the basketball team wasn't very good. There was a lot of ups and downs and seasons, coaching changes. And the coach that was actually re- recruiting me uh, to come out to SFU actually like left the school before I arrived. And 
it was kind of a little bit of a mix up. The, the assistant coach was the interim head coach and he became the head coach getting that position. And yeah, through my head coach, Steve Hansen and my other lifelong friend and teammate, Michael Provenzano, he really took upon us to, to really change his culture coming into this program. And so that's what we did over the years. It was really tough, but a lot of support from family members and close friends over here. One of the one of the closest friends I have over here is actually Hitta Hitta Voss. He uh, played on the team. He was a senior when I came into my first year, and he just really like mentored me into being a leader, a basketball player, and like actually thinking the game and evolving my thinking throughout the game. So yeah, that, shout out to him for sure. <laughs> Othniel, can you talk a little bit about your journey in terms of being recruited and sort of some of the potential adversity you faced in high school in getting to the next level? Yeah, of course. When I was in uh, high school, I actually broke my fifth metatarsal in my senior year of uh, of high school. And in Ontario, if people are from Ontario, in Ontario, you can take a fifth year in high school. So high school is typically four years, but you can take a fifth year, an extra year. And I did that. But during my injury, I was actually out for a whole year. So I broke it in January of my senior year. And I was out until January of the next year during my fifth year. And that was really hard on me. And I'm a man of faith. And so that really actually strengthened my relationship with God. God really showed me that if I wanted to like continue playing basketball, like I would have to do it through him. He really showed me my pride. He showed me the things I needed to fix within my life and within my relationship with him. And so during that time, I really, I really just grew closer to God and he gave me another chance to play. But it was a lot of, uh, the stakes were up in the air. Let's just say I didn't have, I lost all my interest and all my other looks for university after my injury. And coming back, I didn't, no one really knew of me. I was off the basketball planet. And one day I got a phone call from SFU and the head coach there was just telling me, hey, uh, we heard about you and we're interested in you and, you know, we want to offer you a scholarship. And the same thing happened with Queens University as well. And so I had two options to go to Queens or to go to SFU. And yeah, I just wanted to I wanted to take this risk. Like I knew what was being offered at Queens and SFU seemed like a lot of unknowns being across Canada, going to a school that's academically, you know, known for for how hard their academics are and, and their programs, as well as the basketball team not being very good. And I saw that as an opportunity to, you know, take a step and leave my mark in Vancouver. And I'm really grateful for that because doing that, I've really learned a lot living on my own. And yeah, just being here and changing a culture and trying to bring, bring a team that is last in conference consecutively over years to making playoffs to being like somewhat of a of a powerhouse team within the conference was something you know very cool for me and, and amazing over the four years what would you say is something you have to do practice wise to get to where you are i know i mentioned in the bio earlier um you being 10th in the conference and scoring what were some things you had to do in your first couple years as a freshman, sophomore, to get to where you were as a senior? Yeah, so as a freshman, I wasn't very, very good. I'm not even going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> I was very rushed. I knew how to score the ball, but I was very, I was challenged in ways where like, I didn't expect 
myself to put it play in like these certain positions such as you know point guard I typically play shooting guard and so I wasn't thinking the game as well as I should have and during my first year I didn't really get a lot of playing time just because of my athleticism and my defensive abilities I was getting a good amount of playing time in certain games but when I started to realize that I need to put in a lot more work than a lot of the people around me to get to get good and to be, you know, a good player in this conference. Uh, me and my coach, Brett, decided to just do like in more individuals. We would work hard. We would be in the gym working on certain game reps, certain and watch film together. Um, and I did the same with uh, my teammate Hitta during that year and even the years on. As even though he wasn't on the team, he was still around. And so we watched film together. We were in the gym. We got different reads going in, in certain situations, ball screen, catching off flares, catching off staggers, whatever it was. I just knew that when I would practice these things, I would do the exact same thing within the game. And so that really translated to my game as well as in our third year. I really had like I felt like I had a breakout year, um, not just offensively, but defensively. I think I was third in steals in the conference. And I was just playing full court defense and I was always guarding the best player on the team. I always took pride in my defense. I always took pride in how quick I was and how I could stop defenders and shut de defenders down. And so in that, I really saw a breakout year with offensively and defensively with steals, some, some blocks and also just shutting down players and keeping them down to like 10 points, maybe less. That's sweet. And it's great to hear you shout out some people that were instrumental in getting you there. In terms of advice you would have for someone else maybe trying to go play at the next level, what's some advice you would give a young basketball player or any athlete that's trying to get to that next level, maybe play a university sport either in the States or in Canada? Yeah, I would say don't be afraid of you know the unknowns. Um, I know for myself, going to Vancouver, I didn't know what to expect. I knew nobody over there, but I really, I really value legacy. And with my opportunity to go to... Uh, Vancouver and, and live here for four years and and to leave my legacy here in Vancouver. I, I'm very grateful for that. I'm very grateful for, for the unknown. I'm very grateful for the opportunity to go somewhere that I have no idea what's going on in the place, you know? So for someone uh, that's going to play, wants to play in university, wants to play going into their first year, maybe don't be afraid to learn. There's a lot to learn in college and university. Like the speed of the game is different. Reads are different. Ball screen reads are different. Defensive print schemes and principles are different. You got to be able to learn the game and you got to be able to work harder than other players on your team. And that doesn't just count on the court, but that counts in film. Like watch film, study film. Like all the best players in the league, they all watch film. LeBron talks about film like all the time in his interviews. And so, yeah, just be able to learn be, be a listener and just coaches are there to make you into the, into the best player that you can be. They're not here to diminish you. They're not here to mold you into, into what you don't want, but they're trying to challenge you and make you uncomfortable. So don't be afraid to be uncomfortable. And as you've graduated now or heading to graduation, your career is done. What's the next step for you in terms of basketball? Are you uh, hanging up the, hanging up the shoes here? Or are you going to continue playing? Uh, unfortunately not not going to hang up the shoes so going to be actually pursuing pro opportunities uh, i'm looking to sign with an agency after all this uh, coronavirus stuff is really you know 
under control, really trying to go overseas to Europe and play some basketball. Still a lot of unknowns right now with where I'm trying to go, but I just know that I'm working hard and if the opportunity shows itself, I'm definitely going to take it. That's sweet. And if you're listening, we're recording this in the time of uh, COVID-19. So that's what Othniel is referring to right now. And Othniel, is there a certain country that you'd want to go to that maybe you want to kick up your feet and relax there after, you know, 10 years of pro basketball or something? You know, Spain, Spain's idea. I love, I love the, the people in Spain. I love the culture. I would love to learn some more Spanish. I'm not very, not very good at the moment. <laughs> but yeah, Spain um, or even like Sweden or Croatia, pretty, pretty cool places. And I've been to Russia myself, and I know that in Europe, basketball is pretty big. The EuroLeague's a big deal, so I know we don't really hear about it here in Canada, but definitely uh, pro basketball there is a big deal. Of course, man. Like, basketball is is different overseas. Uh, it's The whole culture is different, especially in, like, China and, like, Asia. Asia, basketball is bigger <laughs> than than anywhere else you've been. And honestly, I mean, the, the fans of the teams cheer for one another. It's, it's crazy. It sounds like a soccer match, like, sometimes. And just watching some film of some friends that are actually playing overseas, like, the whole court's different. You know, the ball's different. The, the, the type of play is more physical, more, like, more fundamental. Like, there's a lot of aggression within it. And I'm just, I'm excited to take that opportunity and just, like, to, to try out and see what happens. I have a lot of confidence in myself landing somewhere in Europe, and so I'm ready to take that on. How does your family feel leaving? I know you left Ontario to BC, and now you're going BC, potentially to all the way around the world. So how does your family feel about that right now? Well, I'm the youngest of seven, so... Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so for my family, like, they're excited Obviously, I would love to spend time with my family more often and be back in Toronto and, you know, see them and live life with them. But with the opportunity that I have right now, they're just like, go get it, go grab it, like chase your dreams. I've always I've always been a, a go getter. And so my family this is not this is not something new to them. Like in high school, I was always traveling. I would play AAU. My high school team, Bill Crothers, we would travel to the States like all the time for prep tournaments. So it's nothing new for me to be away from home. I just think being away from home for a, for a while more than more than I am right now is going to be I think it's going to be a great time. I think it's going to be pretty cool. My family's really really opting for it. They're really cheering me on. They're trying to get me to go, so I'm ready for it. They probably want that uh, free trip to Europe there. That's probably why. Of course, uh... of course, of course. I'll be <laughs> I'll be practicing, and they'll just be on the beach, you know, going to the shops, the markets, whatever it is. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So we're gonna move to segment two here. I want you to reflect a little bit back on your SFU days. I know not too long ago you were playing college basketball still. So can you just tell the listeners at home or wherever they're listening what does a typical day look like for you as a Division two basketball player? Well, typical day for me would probably be in wake up in the morning three day, three days a week. So let's say we're on a Monday. Uh, I would lift in the mornings right before class, have class. Then I'd probably have an individual before my practice and do my individual, do practice, have class again. And then we'd probably have like film. And then after that, I would probably go study or if I you know, felt comfortable within where I was in my studies and I would go, you know, train some more and put up some more shots. But yeah, like through that, like one of my positions on the team is a captain. I was one of the captains 
And so for us as captains, we had to like check in on our players, players that we would check in on, help out with homework, assist in like writing papers or even just training. Like if they wanted to, if we wanted to train together, we would just ask them um, and stuff like that. And yeah, as well, um, I'm with a a group, an organization called uh, Athletes in Action. And that's actually a ministry that is worldwide and not just on university campuses. And basically, uh, their philosophy is integrating faith with sport. And so with that, I actually help out with Athletes in Action, um, help lead, um, as well attend and be a part and participate within different activities and small groups. So really working on, you know, my faith and like how I can bring, you know, my faith onto the court. Because sometimes like we think that our, our religious or our Christian realm and basketball or our sport are just two different things. But God wants to live within everything of our lives, whether it's our studies, whether it's our sports, whatever we're doing. And so trying to invite that onto the playing field is something that we work at at Athletes in Action. And how do you find balancing those two things, being part of a student organization, as you mentioned, a faith-based organization like Athletes in Action, and then also being a varsity basketball player and also being a student? How did you sleep? It's a lot to juggle. It's a lot to juggle. Just being very organized for student athletes or for people that are going to become student athletes, man, you got to be you got to be really organized with your schedule and everything that you that you have ahead of you for the day, for the week projects assignments group assignments and so i didn't really sleep i'm not even gonna lie to you it's a (laughs) (laughs) it's it's a it's an up and down situation like sometimes you go to bed at like 12 probably that's gonna be the earliest you go to bed and you're gonna have to wake up at like seven or or even earlier or six and it's the sacrifices that you have to make as a student athlete so i have many friends it's just that i don't really hang out with my friends a lot right i'm always busy it's a bit of a juggling act, it sounds like. Yeah, of course. And are there parts of your day as a student athlete, now that you're done that part of your life, that you found super enjoyable, and then some that you felt more menial and just more, I don't want to say boring, but just going through the motions kind of thing? I would probably say practice was pretty enjoyable, although it's like very gruesome. Like, <laughs> um, you know, you're always running, you're, 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 you're dead after your practice, but like practices were fun. I think the most fun was probably the lifts. The lifts brought in like a lot of intensity, like just all the guys working together, um, trying to make each other better. And yeah, film was also very, it wasn't as fun, but I was really, I was a fan of film uh, because you get to learn more about yourself. You get to learn more about schemes within the game of basketball and just how, like what other people are thinking. Like you, you get this whole perspective from the court instead of just, watching yourself you're seeing like what the read is and like what the help side's playing and and all these different things and so those were definitely fun things i think the most like i wouldn't say boring things but definitely you know class sometimes class is just it's just the (laughs) it could be so hard especially after practice like after practice you're just you're hungry or you get to class late like i would always after practice i'm always getting to class late because i have to grab something to eat and my profs know that. And so it's it's not like I'm purposely late, but like I just have, you know, to like fuel myself to stay awake within class. So 
And in terms of being an NCAA athlete, I know we see a lot of Division One basketball players. Like, for example, last year's breakout star Zion Williamson. Everyone knows about him on campus, for example. Is that the same at at the Division Two level, you would say, that people know... They see you walking around like, oh, that's Othniel. This is guys leading the team in scoring. Are they going to know that, or or that's not really a thing? I would I would love to say yes, but no. <laughs> <laughs> Some students know like who I am because they see like posters throughout the campus. Like we have like promote promos and stuff like that, and so like students will recognize who I am. They they know I play on a basketball team. They probably like won't know my stats. Well, maybe they'll come up to me and just ask me like what's going on and like when's our next game and stuff like that or. Or talk to me about our last game and just be like, man, I really love the way you play or something like that. And so, like, unfortunately, we don't have people that just come up to us and be like, man, I know how many, what your stats are. Like, da-da-da-da-da. Like, are you going to the league and, and stuff like that? But, like, definitely have people that recognize, you know, the the work that we put in. But it wouldn't be as many people as, you know, typical D1 athletes. So you're not getting autograph seekers is what you're saying? Nah, uh... No, not during not during like random parts of the day. Like after games, like we'll have people come up and say like, "Hey, can we get your autograph?" I'll be like, "Absolutely." Can we get a picture? Absolutely. That's sweet. And is that usually kids that are, are coming up to you, or is that just like students or just like anyone? It's typically kids. Sometimes it's students. Students typically want like you know pictures. Uh, I really don't like sign autographs for like students, but <laughs> but for kids, I I always sign autographs. Like I'm I'm a part of the the community here uh and the city here at burnaby i really help with like basketball development um in high schools and just like training uh younger kids um when i have the chance so i i do get a lot of like messages from like younger dudes like oh how do i become better or can you can you watch my film and can you like just give me some comments and you know and constructive criticism and i'm just like yeah like of course and i actually um recently have been like helping out before like everything closing down uh in bc with this the covid um i was helping out at, at burn creek secondary school down the street and just you know trying to be a guy is just who's you know i love the game and i understand that you know i play at at ncaa level but i'm still a human being right and i'm i still want to help out just as much as the next guy and so yeah that sense of community and a sense of showing kids that you know we're we're human too and we we would love to help you is something that you know is really important to me you mentioned earlier about what happens after games so signing autographs for kids and such can you walk us through what a typical game day would look like from start to finish yeah so a typical game day at home would probably be you know you get the comfortable shooting time which is probably like midday before that we probably have film and we would uh just watch film Go to our game. We would probably have like 30 minutes between film and our game day shoot. And so for me, I would wake up early. I would shoot before film just to get like reps in, get game-like shots up, and then watch film, go to the pregame shoot. And then we would uh, just hang out, eat pregame meal. I would typically take a nap. And then after that, just go to the go to the physio center get taped up do my exercises get ready and then here comes game time that's sweet and would it be any different in a road game what would the road game situation look like you you got to go to places like alaska so how how does that in terms of uh travel i know you said you're used to it from high school but it must be a little bit different being a university student having to do that 
Yeah, so on the road, it's pretty tough because you're traveling the day before. Um, you can travel to Alaska, where my school travels to. You can travel to Idaho. And it's sometimes it's it's pretty tough on the body just to like travel all day, wake up early, get on a plane, you know, try to practice the day before, get a good night's rest. There's probably a time change and you're just going to have to sleep well. You probably have assignments, so you're probably going to have to do work on your game day. You know, so that's that's something that that just comes with being a student athlete at the NCAA level, as well as U sports, of course. And yeah, just just preparing for game day is 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 a little bit tougher because there's a really tight schedule. It's not as comfortable as you would be at home. You'd probably wake up a little bit earlier. You know, you would have your shoot probably in the morning and then you would probably have a little nap period pregame meal and then you would be heading off to the gym. Um, just to get taped ready and all that. But yeah, it's it's a little bit more tiring on the body before game time. And so you got you to gotta always stay ready. You got to be ready for that. Do you have any stories of uh, any hostile environments being on the road? I know when we watch it on TV, we see the Duke North Carolina game and we see all the fans getting rowdy. Is that something that you experience out in your conference? Uh, in my conference, yeah. Of course, in certain certain gyms, such as Seattle Pacific is one of them, and Central Washington. Central Washington is probably um, the hardest gym to play in just with because of the crowd, because of the people there. They're always just talking to you during warm-ups. They're trying to just get, you, get in your head. You know, you miss. Oh, they're commenting, stuff like that. And so that's probably like something that, that we get all the time. Like if the ball goes out of bounds and it goes to the crowd and like you're you grab the ball and like they're just talking all this all this type of stuff to you and you're just like wow you're like all right that's fine i'll let my game speak i don't really i don't really talk um to the fans unless they say something that's like really that's that's really ignorant or something like that and then i'll just like if i score or something i'll just turn to them and stare at them and that's it but Something that, you know, I take pride in with my school is I think we have probably one of the most hostile environments at SFU because we have like our super fans who are there every day or every game. And we have our fans who are who are there and they're not afraid to just make noise. They're not afraid to talk to you on the court. They're not afraid to comment on your hair, your shoes. Um, they'll look at other players' Instagrams. They'll talk to like they'll just do whatever. They do the <laughs> research, man. They do the scouting report. And so... Yeah, like I'm a I'm a big fan of playing in our environment because people are just loud. Like they just love making noise. They love just talking. And so it gets me a little bit amped up as well, uh, just to, you know, kind of entice it. Be like, yo, did you hear that fan? Like he's really talking about you, man. Like it's it's, <laughs> it's rough, you know? So yeah, it all, it's all fun. It's all fun in the sport. Yeah, for sure. And are there some things you say to yourself to kind of keep yourself grounded as you're getting potentially chirped by other team uh, other team fans there in the other hostile gyms? Yeah, so when I'm on the court, like I typically, before I go on the court, I typically pray um, just for my mind to be focused and, you know, for this performance to go to God and that, you know, my performance does not determine my value as a person. And so when I'm on the court and like, I'm not playing too hot and like some people are just talking like I just have to remind myself like do you know who you are and don't let these people try to devalue you from that and so I have this uh I have this little term that I use it's called like play free 
for me, I use this term like whenever I'm like really, really like in my head or some things are just going right. I say play free. Like you are free of expectation. You are free of you are free of the chains of performance and pressures. You are free to play. Like you are playing for the glory of God, not for the satisfaction of your coach, not for the satisfaction of your fans or any other teammates. Um, and so I use that to really, um, I use it, I call it a focal point. And so I use that just to get me to become focused or yeah, just refocus within that environment. Good to hear that you have some principles in place that you've learned over the years to kind of ground you. And that's going to definitely help you as you go into the pros as well, because I'm sure the European crowds are going to be similar, especially at the pro level. So that's something to, to expect as well. We're going to move to segment three here, Othniel. Uh, misconceptions about your role. So as a Division Two athlete, people are going to have certain views and misconceptions about what you do. So what are some of those and what would you say to them? So some of the misconceptions at SFU for student athletes would just be that we get it easy from our professors. In a sense that we get, you know, we're allowed to come to class late. Um, we miss, we're allowed to like miss classes that are important and like, we reschedule tests and all that and just, and people are just like wow like you guys have it easy in a sense but that's not so that's not really the case like we form relationships with our professors in the first place and if we receive extensions or we receive you know like rescheduled tests or we don't attend class like it's for a reason and it's not because we have it easier but we manage our time with like our travel schedule practice schedule or game schedule and it's a lot for student athletes it's a lot and that goes into like one of my other um, ideas of misconceptions would probably be that student athletes have it all together that's not the case at all there's a lot of misconceptions about student athletes um, having it together mentally and honestly it's a it's a uphill battle because you've got to not only be at practice you don't even have to be it you don't it's not that you have to just be at lift but or games, but you actually have to perform. Like if you're if you're a lead role on your team, you have to perform. Like you can't you can't just give a night off, right? And if you're if you're in the weight room, you can't just just go easy. Like you have to you have to give it your all. Like you have to continue to put the stress on yourself. And during that time, like you still have this like crazy amount of assignments, crazy amount of of st- studying to do for a test that is like probably two days away. And it's just really, it's a lot on student athletes because all we're going, we're all just performance like <laughs> seekers. We're just, we're just performance wise. We're just trying to perform to the best of our ability. And we're looking for these results. We love results. We love wins. You know, we hate losses. You know, we love getting good grades, but unfortunately that's not like, that doesn't happen all the time. And so like it really messes with our head. If we're not pleasing our coach, you know, if we're really stressed about a family member that's at home and you're not even, you know, like for me, like I live in Vancouver, my family's in Toronto and let's say I have a family situation going on back home. Like I can't just go back home, right. And be there, but I have to be able to, you know, balance all these different things within my head mentally. And so like mental health is something that is now it's becoming very uh, crucial within, within sports and within, you know, university athletics, because, you know, we should have a counselor, like we should be able to talk about these things. But, you know, before, like, these things were ignored, it's like, oh, you're superstar athletes, like you can handle it, you know, you can handle the heat, you can handle the pressure. 
but sometimes we can't. And I've had times where like I've broken down uh, because of anxiety with the season going into my senior year, like different things like that. So definitely something that's a misconception within the sporting world. I appreciate you sharing that being a bit vulnerable there because I know in Ontario, a lot of the universities, there's a big push for mental health awareness with Bell Let's Talk. There's a big Mm -hmm. Bell Let's Talk game to celebrate that awareness. So it's really important that athletes continue to push that and athletic departments continue to push that as well. Just this idea that athletes need community and mental health assistance as well. Yeah, of course, man. I think it's something that's very, you know, valuable, valuable in the in the sporting community and to athletes. And, you know, we are student athletes. And so we get the pressures of, you know, doing well for our academics and the pressures of doing well within the sport. And so to put those on top of one another, and you know, that's a lot. And what would you say, last question here for this segment, what would you say are some things you didn't know about being a Division II athlete, being um, a student athlete in university before you got there? So you probably had some certain views of what it might look like, and then you got there and it reality hit. So what, what were some things you didn't know before? I would say I didn't know my weaknesses were like that weak. You know what I mean? And um, going in, in high school, like I was, a, I was a good player and I was just like, man, I'm going to do well at this school. My first year, I'm going to drop like 20 and I'm going to like, you know, consistently play well. And coming in, it was a really, really big reality check. Like there were a lot of guys that were bigger than me, more skilled, and they'd just been playing the, the game longer. And so as a freshman, like when I'd be on the court, I would, I would have times of struggle. I would have times of success. But there would be some tough times where I'm guarding a dude who's like 6'3", but he's like 205, and he's posting me up. <laughs> and so for me, like that was a big reality check. And during like my my years at SFU, one of my biggest like mot- motivators was to be the strongest on my team. And I am, and I don't want to hear anybody else talk about on my team that I'm not the strongest, but I'm the strongest pound for pound on my team. <laughs> and so yeah, just taking taking that learning experience and being like, man, I need to get bigger. Like I'm guarding dudes who are, could be six, one or could be like six, six. Like there's a big variation of size within, within D2 and NCAA. Like, of course, like D1, you're going to have bigger guys in D2. You're still going to have some guys who are just as big. What would you say is um, a misconception of division two in general? I know, when we think about NCAA basketball, we just think D1, but there's also D1, there's D2, there's D3. So what would you say is some misconceptions even about the level of play in D2? I think a lot of, and even this even went with like my experience in high school. When I was asked like if I wanted to play Division Two, I was just like, no, like there's there's no chance. Like Division Two is just like, like no one knows about Division Two in a sense. And coming to SFU, I was just like, man, like, these guys are just as good as D1 players. There are guys who are just as good as D1 players. It's just like they may not have the size or they just made, weren't recruited well or they just had, like, you know, troubles academically. Like, there's a lot of factors that go into being in a Division Two team. And I know I've played against guys who have, you know, played D2 and they're in the league or and they're in like a high end European league 
So it's there's a lot of misconceptions between like skill, skill levels of D D one and D two. Guys are just as good, and that's 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 no cap. I'm that probably say like the difference would probably be size. Like if you're an undersized D one guard or undersized guard who can play just as good as the guards in D one, you probably excel very well in D two. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that because that gives you more opportunity to like go pro, you know, and like if you want to pursue basketball overseas. It's sort of this debate of do you want to be one of the bench guys on a team where you're not going to play and grow or do you want to be on a team that's maybe not as good, like not bad, but you get more time to shine. So it's kind of that debate, right? Yeah, like there's a lot of like misconceptions with guys who, you know, want to go D1 and they go to a D1 school. They don't play in their first year and they're just like, well, like, I don't want to, I feel like I just wasted a year or, you know, they don't get as much playing time. They're not as valued where you can be like a role or a star player on like a D2 team, but you're still playing against guys who are good. You're not playing against bums. Like D2 is not a place of bums. Like you saw that when, when Duke played that D2 school in the beginning of the year and Duke won by like a small margin and everyone was just like, like, that doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, like D2 is definitely like a great division to play in for guys if you're if you're interested in D1 and let's say D1's just not working for you, like D don't be afraid to try D2. I like the advice there and we're going to move to segment 4 rapid fire and prep with you these questions beforehand so we'll see how it goes. I want you to name your top 3 sports teams and athletes of all time. Okay, top 3 sports teams right now. LA Clippers Definitely number one for me. If we're saying all sports, I'm going with uh, Toronto Blue Jays just because I'm from Toronto and I just love baseball. And number three, probably an NFL team would definitely be Baltimore Ravens. Like Lamar Jackson, Mark Ingram, all those guys. Mm -hmm. Ray Lewis back in the day. Ray Lewis back in the day. They're a problem. And just top three player, sports players or athletes? Yeah, all time. Your top, your top three faves. Top three athletes, Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson, like, I love the the whole Nike scheme behind Bo, and it's like Bo knows um, because Bo Jackson played football and baseball, and he was crazy at both. So Bo Jackson for sure. Michael Jordan, have to put him in there. Like, typical basketball player uh, answer, but I love I love his game, and I love everything about Michael Jordan. And... My third best, my third best, man, it would have to be like Usain Bolt. Like as as a track star, like who he is, definitely. I'm Jamaican, so I gotta you know, I gotta rep the yacht. So <laughs> there you go, there you go. So, I appreciate that. Yeah, that's funny. All right, question two here. What's your favorite sports memory of all time? It could be one that you played in or participated in, or it could be something you'd watched on TV or heard on the internet. Most favorite sports moment. Um, would definitely be when Damian Lillard sunk that shot buzzer beater on Paul George. That was crazy when he just came up, sidestep, and he was deep, man. He was, I don't know where he was. He was in a different area code. <laughs> Hit that sidestep just for game. That was crazy. That was probably one of my favorite sports moments. Sweet. I know Lillard's had a few of those big buzzer beaters. I know he did against uh, Houston as well in the playoffs. So moving on to a non-sports question here. I'm going to give you one last meal to eat. You got to tell me what you're drinking, what the appetizer is, entree, and dessert. 
Jeez, one last meal. One last meal. So you can go. You can go a little bit crazy here if you want. <laughs> so appetizer going with ackee and saltfish. Uh, that's a Jamaican Jamaican dish. Uh, definitely with some. Uh, I would come with some. You know, maybe maybe some cocoa bread, some some dumplings, whatever it is. Then my my entree. It's definitely, it's definitely got to be some, some jerk chicken, man. I live in Vancouver, but they got no Jamaican food over here, man. <laughs> I'm craving that. So yeah, definitely some, some jerk chicken. And then for dessert, I'm probably going to have to go with some like, you know, classic like apple pie and, and ice cream. Like that's my classic. That's how I, that's my go-to. And to drink, to drink, probably have an island soda, you know, gotta, gotta do it up. So yeah, you got the island theme going. I like it. So now I'm going to give you the chance to put on a concert in your backyard. You're allowed to book any band or artist in the history of the world. You got to pick three and the order in which they play. In my backyard? My backyard is small, man. Uh... <laughs> yeah, just imagine you got a bigger backyard. <laughs> my backyard is small. Okay, so we go in first. My closure is going to be MJ. So I'm just going to put it there. Michael Jackson. Yeah. My starter you know, we're gonna we're gonna throw it back. We're gonna go soul for real for all for all my uh my folks that that know back in the day soul for real, Candy Rain. Oh man, don't get me started. And then my second, yeah, I'm gonna have to put like it's gonna be odd, but I'm gonna have to put like J. Cole in there. Like J. Cole's tough. Like So it's old school, new school, <laughs> back to some old school there. MJ's ending it, man. MJ's ending it. It's a There you go. It's a rap. Everybody's going crazy. So what would you say is the best advice you ever received from like a coach or another player to make you better, to make you the player that you are today? I think like one of the best pieces of advice that I had came from my man, like Hitta. I remember him talking, talking to me and I was just a little bit down about just how I was playing or I think I had like a bad game and then he just like got up and he <laughs> he started yelling at me. <laughs> he started he started yelling at me and he was just like talking about like how I'm so good and how I can change the game by just being on the court. I just remember that and I just think I just like gravitated to like that whole statement that when I'm on the court the game changes. Like I just know it. And if you if you watch our games, if you watch film, you'll you'll see it. If it's defensively, it's as if it's my energy, if it's my intensity, if it's my offensive game, whatever it is, like I'm always doing something that's just energizing the game. And so that kind of carried with me because like I started to notice like people would come to me and be like, I love the way you play. And they wouldn't they wouldn't say anything else. It didn't, it didn't have to be about the way I scored. It didn't have to be about it was just the way I played, the the energy I brought, the defense I brought. Whether it was like exciting steals, fast break layups, blocks, like whatever it was. And so I think I, that really stuck to me when I was told, like, you know, when you're on the court, the game is different. That's some good advice you got there. And uh, I could see how that would uh, improve your game and just give um, that energy boost to your team. So my last question, another make-believe sports question here. If you could be any position on any team in any sport, what would it be? Okay. I've thought about this with everything going on. I'm like, man, what if I played another sport? There you go. Now you got your chance. <laughs> I would really, I would really love to play an outfielder in baseball. I would, I, I, I believe in, I, I have an arm and 
like, I just love the sport of baseball. It is so exciting to me sometimes. And, you know, some people get really bored with it, but I'm just like tuned in. I would definitely love to play like in, uh, like a left field in baseball. For the Jays? Oh, for the Jays. It would be for the Jays or it could be for, you know, Los Angeles Angels. I do, I play for the LA. Just not the Yankees, right? No, not the Yankees. Definitely not the Astros. We, we, <laughs> we don't mess with them. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be associated there. No, I appreciate that. So, Othniel, if our audience wants to find out more about you, where can they find you on social media and those platforms? You can find me on Instagram, at Othniel Spence. Um, same with Twitter. So my full name, O-T-H-N-I-E-L, Spence. Yeah, or Facebook. I, I, don't, I don't really use Facebook, but you could definitely uh, hit me up on that. I'll definitely give you a reply. But yeah, don't be afraid to do that. I'll leave that information in the show description as well. So if you want to reach out to him, if you're a young basketball player who's listening to this and wants to get more tips, I'm sure he'd love to help you. So, Othniel, thank you for coming on the show today. I do appreciate it. You sharing about your journey and just being vulnerable about your faith journey as well. And uh, good luck to you as you uh, look to head to the pros. Hopefully, as this COVID situation dies down, that you'll be able to um, realize your dream there. Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you for reaching out. Hope you have a great time. I had a great time on this show. So good luck to the rest uh, of your process. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Keep an eye out for the next episode where I interview Shaka Fonderson, founder of Beyond the Game. Hear about how setbacks in his own athletic journey helped give him inspiration to start his own company, helping athletes move on to what's next after sport. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Juan underscore and underscore only underscore sports and see some of my commentating highlights on YouTube at the channel One and Only Sports. Catch you listeners on the flip side. Peace.